0: Welcome to Force Points To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Hi, this is episode nine of To The Point Cybersecurity. This is Erica Pierce, and I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Trexler. Hi, Eric. Hi, Erica. How you doing this week?
1: Great Monday.
0: Yes, and we are actually we're, we're now really coasting through our episodes, uh, getting ready. This is nine, and soon hitting ten. So glad for all of the listeners that have been um, joining us each each and every week. Uh, So this week we have a a very interesting guest. We have Andre McGregor, um, who is currently um, with TLDR Capital managing their security practice, uh, but also has um, experience as a former FBI um, agent uh, working in their cyber um, special security area and was part of the um, first cybersecurity national squad uh, for New York. And so uh, Andre, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Hey, thank you for having me.
0: Well, and then the other thing, and we're gonna talk about this towards the end of the episode, but you're a busy guy, Andre, because in addition to your, your day job, um, you also are a technical consultant for NBC for the show, Mr. Robot.
2: Yes, uh, I enjoy doing <laughs> that on the side when I have some free time.
0: Yes, yes. That's what the, uh, the young kids call a, a side hustle, I guess. So,
1: <laughs> My wife told me to mar- remark that she misses me since I've been prepping for the podcast. I'm now engrossed in season one.
0: Oh. <laughs> are, you, are you binging?
1: <laughs> Andre, I think it's your fault.
0: <laughs> well, keep, keep,
2: keep going. I like grossy checks. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's
1: fascinating so far.
0: So this week um we wanted to talk about um does the government need a cyber 911. So I actually um saw you Andre give a talk a couple of weeks ago in DC um at an event and you were talking about just your experience working with the FBI and working on some um pro- high profile cases including the uh Bowman Avenue dam uh, case in New York which um involved a hacking by um by Iran and you know I I thought it was it was very interesting You're Perspective in terms of how government reacted, um, how government reacts and coordinates today, and what could be done better for the future. And so, uh, would first I'd like to start with you, just telling us a little bit more about uh, what you can share about your experience with that case in terms of um, coordination, and just you know, what are your thoughts in ter- having been on the inside in terms of being with the FBI at the time, in terms of how a government can really. Um, you know, go forward in terms of really handling the um, the level of cyber threats that we now have on a daily basis. Sure.
2: Um, well, let me start off by saying first that I've I've watched the government mature uh, over you know a ten year period from two thousand nine two thousand ten when we had our first big multinational response for a cyber attack and no one knew what to do. there's coordination issues. There was you know, multiple agencies on site that were fighting each other, uh, collection issues on, on evidence. It was, it was, uh, very, very, uh, difficult to, to manage a case when you have so many agencies jockeying for sort of the lead position. And then fast forward to an event like the, the Bowman dam and, and there are many others beyond that, but you, you, you start to learn that, you know, not, not only, that certain agencies have capabilities that need to be brought to bear, but also you learn the people that you go to. And so, you know, one of the things that uh, uh, FEMA likes to say is you, you, you don't exchange business cards at the disaster site. You should <laughs> yeah. obviously uh, get to know people beforehand so that when a disaster happens, you're not spending the time doing introductions and trying to see whether or not you trust them or not. Uh, so the, with a case like that, I already sort of knew who to reach out to and they knew how to reach out to me. And it was, it was good coordination, which was, which was great and glad that it was a a case whereby there wasn't a potential for a lot of damage. Uh, It wasn't a a Hoover dam or something somewhere to that. It was much, much smaller than that, but really it showed the, you know, the maturity of where the government's going. Uh, Sadly, that's just, kind of what you see on the federal side. And if you look at something like Atlanta, that's uh, almost reminded me of 2009, Mm -hmm. uh, where you see, you know, just government uh, inefficiencies or or confusion, Uh, you know, it it was actually probably the worst nightmare that you could think for a local government to have from a cyber perspective.
1: How how, How did you get to know your counterparts prior to the Bowman Avenue Dam incident?
2: I'm proactive. I, I, I used to have a supervisor that told me if there was one word to describe me, it would be tenacious. Uh, I, I always wanted to to learn more and keep moving things forward. And as a result, I I reached across you know sort of boundaries to to my peers and other agencies. I mean, it's sort of what you hope when you know reaching across the aisle you find someone on the other end that wants to actually you know work with you. And there there are those people. So at DHS, you know, I had counterparts there that. Over time, you know, they could give me something, I could give them something, and we would be able to work together on it, mainly because it wasn't about accolades. It was about the mission, you know. So, moving away from, you know, is it best for the FBI or is it best for, you know, the nation or humanity to do this? And so, once you sort of remove the idea of credit, which I think is hard to do sometimes as humans, um, and you just decide that it's important to just get the job done because it's the right thing to do. Um, that's, that's when kind of real work happens.
1: But you almost explained it as if we as a nation have come a long way and we're much more, much better integrated than we used to be. The way you describe Bowman Dam, though, is really you reached out, you build those relationships. How do we do that at scale? I mean, are we doing that at scale?
2: So, I mean, you know, I, 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 I have you know mentors, and I remember when, one of my mentors who was a high-level uh, you know, official at the FBI said that we're sort of stuck in a world where we have short-term self-interests, right? So people are sort of stuck in, I'm waiting to be promoted or I will be promoted, therefore what can I do in a short amount of time uh, to, to you know, kind of make my mark? Um, but when you think about it uh, at a bigger scale, if we wanna move away from sort of individualized you know, projects like that, that sometimes get lost because there's some great ideas, but then people move on and things fall to the wayside and then they get forgotten. Um, I've sort of pushed the idea and I see others have as well of having some sort of centralized agency and really something that's independent of people and agencies, but more um, around the problem set. So if you look at something like Cybercom, Cybercom did a great job of saying, Hey, we have a threat. That threat is cyberspace, which is both a realm and a technique. Uh, there are cyber, you know, attacks that are happening between with cyber weaponry, but there's also people that live in a digital world and need to operate in a space that's different than their physical world. And so what they did was they said, Hey, let's bring the resources together independently to work and solve that problem. So it can't be an agency that's sort of Mm DHS-led and then everyone else is falling into into place or FBI-led and falling into place because then you run into financial issues, you run into territorial issues, you run into mission issues. Uh, Having something that is independent um, that looks solely at the threat and then brings the people to solve that problem is the best way forward.
1: And, and who does that today? I mean, who's, you know, we, we have a major cybersecurity issue in, in this country. Today, who fulfills that role?
2: So, investigatively, if it is, um, uh, if it relates to national security, it will be the FBI that, that conducts the investigation. However, the FBI's job is not to remediate, uh, so that would be DHS. Now, this is all at a federal level mm-hmm. and doesn't really go into local and state or even private entities. So if the private entities get hacked, which if you think about 85 percent of you know the Internet is privately owned, they have to invite the government in. And there's a chilling effect of inviting the government in, too, because you're hoping that, hey, they don't stumble across something else that is criminal in nature. And now I get in trouble, right? Um, or right, you're trying
1: to do they, the right thing,
2: right? Or you know, unfortunately, let's say you move into like a private public entity, like a um, like a power plant, where they're regulated by by NERC, FERC. Um, they may discover something what requires them to self report and be fined for self reporting. So there's a lot of issues that come into bear when you do invite the government into the the, the private side. But from a resource perspective, those are the two best entities to bring in. However, the problem you run into, especially from a critical infrastructure perspective, and I spent a good amount of my years in the FBI focused on critical infrastructure, is that let's say that you, know, you're, you have a subway system and it stops moving. Or we have some automated lines that just starts moving on its own. Now you have a life safety issue. Is it, is it a hack? Is it human error? Is it machine error? I don't know. All I know is I have lots of people underground that need to be moved up above ground safely, and I may have to do it by way of restarting servers, trampling evidence, and by that time, now I don't know what to investigate, who's, who's the issue. And if I'm lucky, the people that did attack it will want credit, and therefore hmm. they'll tell me that they did it. Uh, otherwise, I may just consider it to be human error or mechanical error and not realize that a cyber attack actually happened. Um, it's a very complicated situation, especially when you start to get critical infrastructure. How cyber uh, investigations work?
0: Well, and it sounds like then, uh, you know, Andre, you're you're making the case then for this a uh, standalone agency, which I know there's been a lot of debate lately about. You know, can DHS um, really be the agency that handles it if they have a um, you know, have a a cyber focus that's at the level of FEMA, um, as opposed to you know letting it be with FBI, NSA, all those other um, different departments and agencies. And so there's uh, there's been just a, a great deal of discussion around that. I think, especially as we see the the threat levels continue to rise. Uh,
2: you know, DHS is the is the catch all agency when it comes down to you know, someone should do something that relates to life safety. It's a large agency. That, I mean, it's the second largest civilian agency next to the the, the, the VA. Um, but as a result, it it has a its own identity crisis. And so, you know, you can add that functionality into DHS, but you run the risk of, you know, trying to get other agencies to want to cooperate and want to, you know, bring their resources in, bring their... Um, you know headcount. So if you think about it from the FBI's perspective, and this is every agency, you get a total number of people that are allotted to you per agency by Congress. And if you want more people, you have to go lobby Congress to get more people, which will be done through uh, OPM. Um, now you're asking the FBI to give up people right. that they now and and give up resources and give up budget, give up cars and everything else whereby the other field offices, you know, already need those people. And, and so now that, I mean, at the end of the day, it's sort of uh, everything comes down to money. It comes down to resources. We do have a, a lack of, of cyber personnel, um, but you also have a lack of cohesion because I was a cyber agent. I, I carried a gun like every other agent. I did arrests that were not cyber related, but much of my time was spent behind a keyboard, uh, looking at data, trying to find uh, the adversary. And not being able to really relate to my fellow agents in counterterrorism or criminal, because I'm, you know, up until, you know, the or up within the first couple of years of being an agent, I was the guy that the counterterrorism agents came over and said, "Hey, can you make a copy of the CD?" And I'm like, "Well, no, I'm not <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> I, I I have other functions as well, just like you." But there's obviously a disconnect of what you think the job is. Obviously, that's been filled out over the last many years. So, so you know, uh, I, I think all agents know what cyber agents do. But the point of it is you don't have a place where kind of everyone can talk about the same problem, right? Like the National Counterterrorism Center brings all of the people, all of the agencies that are all thinking about counterterrorism and terrorist issues in one room to have a unified conversation. There's no place right now in government for, for that to happen. For cyber,
0: well, and let me ask you both a question. So, um, not sure if you saw a report that was out today. And Andre, you made me think about this when you said the lack of cyber personnel. But a um, a cyber think tank, um, New American, put out put out a report where they called for the creation of a civilian cybersecurity corps. So they really were looking to model it after the Civilian Air Patrol and the Coast Guard Auxiliary that um, was started during World War War II. Um, But this would be focused on um, cyber. So it would be security screen volunteers that are coming in um, and essentially being the extension of the the government. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it's kind of an (laughs) outside-the-box (laughs) Um, you know, idea, but, you know, just, it struck me when I read about it today.
2: Um, So it it does remind me of like the Civilian Conservation Corps that, you know, FDR started and uh, obviously created a lot of the parks that we have today. Um, You know, when you think about it, it's like, people want to help and they don't really know how to help. Yes, there's some fringes on both ends where, you know, either you're an extremist and you say the government's too much in my life, or you're on the other end where you say, I want the government, you know, to control everything, but let's move away from those fringes and talk about everyone sort of in the middle. You know, they're, they're saying to a, well, I know the issue and I don't know who to call. I know the issue and they don't, they don't need my help because they already know it, which in fact is not true many times. You know, should you pick up the phone and and call the government, they'd want your help. But the problem is I just said a statement of call the government. No one knows who to call. Do I call DHS? Do I call FBI? Do I call my local police? Do I call the university professor that has a friend that works in government? You know, that's sort of the issue that we have right now is that there's no place for sort of like those people that that want to help the volunteer to be able to reach out and feel welcome. Right. I mean, if you find a vulnerability, we talk about things like responsible disclosure of saying, hey, I'll let the company know or I'll, I'll let the government know uh, without public going public with it. But the fear still exists that if I let them know about it, I might get arrested because I stumbled upon a vulnerability that allowed me to have access into a system. And by law, I may actually be breaking it, breaking the system. And so um that is a great idea. I just think that we suffer from a communication problem in government, which is how do we allow people to feel like they can call and support? And if so, who do they call and who will actually pick up the phone on the other end?
1: Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. Who even answers the phone? Do we have the infrastructure? You know, the Civilian Conservation Corps, I personally believe was a, a great use of at the at that point in time, unemployed personnel's time. Uh, but the, there was a whole organization. There was a structure. There were jobs created to manage the the leveraging of that workforce. We don't have that today. There was uh, th- there's some talk of late of giving people job rotation through the government. You know, so you can leave your commercial practice, whether you're working for a bank, a cybersecurity company, an IT company, whatever it may be, and do a a stint in the government, six months a year, three months, whatever it may be. I think that's another great idea, but somebody's got to own that. Somebody has to set that up. You can't just walk into the local VA hospital and say, I'm here to help. Right. <laughs> I want to, I want to do cybersecurity for you today. Just <laughs> well, and, so, and,
2: the, and, and you have a good point there because, um, you know, people, people want to want to help. They just don't know sort of who to call and, and where to call. And, you know, that, that is, you know, the, the missing link in all of this is if we had, just, I, I don't know the answer, really, is the answer that we have some sort of, you know, regionalized center where people can come in and volunteer their time. I know that I'm a volunteer fireman, been one for for 12 years. There's a law in the books in in New Jersey that says, hey, if you are, you know, have to go out for an extended period of time. I know California has a law about uh, wildland firefighters that volunteer. I get to keep my job, you know. Mm-hmm. And volunteer my time to go help the better, you know, for the better good of, of society. And so having something like that, a rotation program where you still maintain your current job in some capacity, but you can bring those resources into the bigger picture, you know, I think would be a great way to to sort of bleed or bleed over some of the talent that the banks have have, you know, really done a good job of developing over the last few years.
1: Yeah, great job. Okay, so I think we're getting low on time, but I I, I have to ask a couple Mister Robot questions, <laughs> Erica, if that's okay. No, please do, please do. Okay, Andre, strap in for this one. So we we've got Mister Robot, who's one of the coolest characters out there, played by Christian Slater. He's kind of a what would I don't know what 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 is the group the F Society team that he's leading? Is that are they anarchists? Are they hacktivists? What would you call them?
2: Um, I, I think it would more be hacktivist is what we refer to. I mean, they're just sort of loosely based off of anonymous little sec, uh, hacking for the greater good, uh, at least in their eyes.
1: So how is it working for a production like this where you've been doing good your whole career? You've been on the white hat side. You're, you're one of the good guys. And now you're advising how to create anarchy in society. <laughs>
2: Good question. Um, I, <laughs> I, I I don't like it as necessary as, as advising for anarchy, but I will say that, you know, there was a turning point as an agent where I when I first got out of Quantico and Quantico is, you know, the indoctrination center for the FBI, like the farm is for the CIA. And you come out and you're, um, you know, thinking, OK, all people that break the law are bad you know, it's very black and white. Like if you break the law, it's bad. And then you start running into people that kind of bleed into this gray area where, you know, it's like, well, they're not purposefully trying to break the law for any type of financial gain or to cause trouble um, against other people, but it's really because they see an, a need that needs to be sort of fixed and no one's taking the cause. And okay. so that was sort of my first time realizing like, well, maybe law isn't black and white there is a gray area and so i think that's what the show is showing is that you know there is a gray area of, of how to actually solve some of the problems that we see uh i think over time and if you're watching the show you realize that the answer that they found was not necessarily the correct one uh, but i think that's just human nature where we realize that uh, but it's a great show i really enjoy it, it you know the, sam the creator really Uh, emphasizes the need to be authentic. So it's not sort of a CSI cyber where people are typing fast on the keyboard and green code is good and red code is malware. It's, you know, if we're going to show it on television, it must be, you know, something that can be reproducible.
1: I think it's great. And On Amazon, you can even see the I forget what they call them, goofs or, or problems. I struggle in each episode to try to find the flaws that are even being pointed out. I mean, technical <laughs> accuracy is, is very high on the show. And I would caution all of our listeners, do not start with that show unless you have a lot of free time on your hands or you're planning to do something for a long time because it is uh, it's enticing.
2: It's it's a good binge watch show, is what I've been That's uh, told. Say, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, I'll try United, to sell
1: that with the misses.
2: <laughs> United United shows it on 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 the planes, and a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, I'm stuck flying from here to London, wherever that here is," and I watched you know five episodes. Okay.
1: Yeah, it's a great show for an, a long international flight. Yeah, Yeah.
0: it sounds like a very cool thing to be doing. So (laughs) I'm I'm jealous, Andre. (laughs) Well,
2: it's it's also, you know, I think it's a, a show that finally brought hacking into the mainstream in a way that... People that have been in the cybersecurity space have been frustrated at seeing TV shows butcher, right? I think it's, you know, it's like, you know, you know being a doctor and watching a, a show where they're not doing CPR properly or they're dispensing meds improperly. It just goes against everything that they know. So to have a show, at least in cybersecurity, that shows the realities of cybersecurity has uh, is, is been refreshing, I think, to the community.
1: And I think it's pretty accurate. That's That's the piece I love. Right? unlike hackers or you know I'm trying to think of some of the other movies or shows out there that just they they don't make reality
2: I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna I, I would say I'm dating myself but I actually think the show is way older than me being alive on this earth but there's a show called Adam 12 and Adam 12 was one of the well, one of the first police shows before dragnet and oh. it was deadly accurate I mean so accurate that LAPD would use Adam 12 to, for their uh, training uh, at their training academy. Then actually show police officers how they should be acting through a wow. TV show. Uh, and that's what we're seeing with Mr. Robot is, you know, a lot of companies are saying, hey, you wanna understand how hacking works? You wanna understand why we give these policies and why we tell you to do X, Y, and Z for security sake? watch this show or watch this episode and you'll see about social engineering, you'll see about rooting uh, an Android phone, you'll see about, you know, the reasons why you need to protect your card access um, uh, ID, things like that. The show is, is that avenue for them to be able to show legitimacy for the work that is kind of hard to show on, you know, to talk about every day.
1: And I think we even see some of the societal challenges that employees struggle with, that individual mm-hmm. humans, humans struggle with, you know, doing good, bad. Where is that, that line? It's not black or white. Where do you draw the line in your job?
2: Right. And I mean, that's, uh, you know, uh, like I said the show as, uh, as you get closer and closer to, to season four, we, we try to solve that. <laughs> so I won't give anything away <laughs> because season four is actively being worked on as we speak. But I, I we will tell you to tune in
0: <laughs> well we, we encourage all of our, our our listeners to uh to binge watch one through three so they'll be ready for season four so thank you andre uh this was been this has been fun i'd I like that we were able to talk about a range of topics with you so we appreciate your time today
2: no thank you and glad to be on and hopefully can do it again
1: That'd be great. Season two, here I come.
0: (laughs) Eric's available for some consultancy (laughs) as well. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks, Andre. We appreciate your time. And thanks to all of our listeners who uh, tuned in this week to To The Point Cybersecurity. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Point. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com/govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.